All right, who's ready to look at the Word of God together this morning? This is what I was praying during worship. Lord, thank you that you've given us your spirit, that we, you created us in such a way that we experience you. Something about us is created that we can actually experience your presence by your spirit. And thank you that you gave us your word to give us guidance and that your spirit inspires that word to us so that we have something tangible to hold on to, especially in a world that kind of sometimes seems like it's going crazy, right? So the Word of God, we are hoping, if you're visiting, we've been going through the book of 1 Peter. It's a letter that Peter wrote to suffering Christians, and I hope you're getting to know, you're enjoying getting to know the Apostle Peter a little bit better um, than you knew him before, that we kind of think of Peter as that kind of uh, um, guy who's, you know, ready, fire, aim guy. You know, he engages Malt before he does what he thinks about it. And we're getting to know him a little better. And I think we're finding, as we're looking at Peter, this interesting mix of characteristics that he genuinely loves these Christian people who have been scattered abroad um, because they're being persecuted. Um, But as he writes to them, he loves them, but he does not, he doesn't express his care in some syrupy kind of way. He cares for them, but he just then speaks the truth to them about how to stand strong and to move ahead in a world where they seem like they don't fit, where they seem like they're square pegs in a round hole. And we've been talking about that a lot. That's kind of what Peter is getting at, that, that it's okay to understand that we don't fit. Well, the text that we're going to look at today kind of lines up with Peter's personality. I I'm, I'm warned you about it in advance last week, and I'm warning you about it in advance today because, um, because Peter's going to be Peter in the text that we looked at today. And um, the text we're going to look at today is filled with Peter's insights into how to live differently in the world around us um, because oftentimes we kind of struggle with not fitting in. And I hope that as we look at this, we really understand that if we are followers of Jesus, then that is, and that it should be expected that we will be different, we'll be different than we were before we met Jesus, and therefore we're going to be different from much of the world around us, and that we would come to terms with the reality that we really do live differently than, the, than a lot of people in this world, and that that being different wouldn't surprise us anymore. That when we parent our kids and our grandkids and they go, you know what, I don't have friends it's the same way or it doesn't fit in the same way, that we would just say, guess what, this is the way it is as a follower of Jesus. And we talk about all the positive reasons that this is the way it is, that there's just this reality that we feel like square pegs in round holes. So grab your Bible, open up to 1 Peter. Who's got their Bible today? Open up to 1 Peter, power up your phone. I was going to say power up your, your iPad. Do people even use iPads anymore? Am I the only one who still uses an iPad? Keenan, you're a smart man. Power up, open up. If you don't have a Bible and the chairs in front of you and those little racks underneath, there's Bibles for you there. If you don't have a Bible, you're welcome to take that home. Our gift to you, we can't think of anything we'd rather do than give you God's word. And we're going to open to 1 Peter. It's kind of near the end of the Bible. And we're going to look at chapter 1, verses 17 to 21. All right? 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 17. If you address as father 
the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth, knowing that you are not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your feudal way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. For he was foreknown before the foundations of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and your hope are in God. Let's stop right there. Okay, let's, a lot of what we're going to do today is we're going to start off just unpacking this first verse. Um, we're going we're to, um, you know, look at this. First, so what do we see? First of all, what do we see as we break down the first verse? We see that Peter here is particularly writing to Christian people. You say, how do you know that? Now, first of all, we know it from the rest of the book, but we know it in this verse. Why? Because he says, if you are one who calls God Father. Now, this is a, a name for God that implies a relationship. That God is Father and we are children. And that's something, whether you know it or not, that's unique to Christianity. You see, we don't see God as some distant, some disconnected, or some, some angry God who's off in a cosmos somewhere. No, he is what? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That's the way the Christian knows God. He is our Father who art in heaven. That's our God. And as Father, we know that he is a good Father, one who loves us and protects us and cares for us and wants the best for us. He is a good Father. Matter of fact, he is the role model for what any human father ought to be like. If you want to know what a father ought to be like, look at God the Father in Scripture. Scripture. But notice what else Peter has to say about our relationship to our good father. It says, He is the one who impartially judges according to each one's work. He's the one who impartially judges according to our work. And other translations say the word will judge us according to our deeds. And I think that maybe we understand better because you could misunderstand and think work means your job. But he's talking about he impartially judges according to the deeds that we do. That Peter is pointing out that our good father is also our judging father who will one day judge each of us according to our deeds, according to what we do and don't do. Now, I think this might mess with some of our theology today. Especially, and I don't mean this critically, I just want you to hear me out, especially if you get most of your theology from worship music. Now, worship, music has always been a vital part of the church world. Worship music was intended from the beginning of Christian um, theology and worship to help us memorize Scripture. We put God's truth to um, to song and we remember it or we do what there was creeds memorized which is a creed we sang a song today was the apostles creed put the music it's supposed to be designed to help us but if you have used worship music as your primary source of theology instead of the word of god what peter's going to talk about here is going to kind of mess with you 
Because there is a big push in our current culture, um, and it, this ebbs and flows in cultures. If you understand church history, this goes back and forth for, through centuries and centuries. It always swings back and forth. There's this big push in our current culture, and it comes out through our music, to emphasize that God is a good, good father. That God is chasing after you. That God, that you, that we are God's beloved, and he loves us more than everything else. And here's the deal. That's all true. That's all true true, but it's incomplete. Because as Peter says here, he is also our judge. Peter points out that um, one day we will all stand in front of God, holy God, as we, he's, he's painting the picture of here in this section of scripture, as our judge and give an account, he says, for our deeds, the deeds of our life. Now I want you to understand something as we delve into this this morning. This isn't about heaven and hell. He's not saying he's going to judge you according to, to whether you're saved or lost. That's not what he's talking about here. It's not about salvation because this is written to those who are saved, those who call God their father. It's written to those who trust in Jesus as Savior. Peter has already pointed that out, made that clear in the letter that he's writing here. This isn't about salvation, but it is about loss and gain. It's about judgment from God toward us based on our deeds, what things we do and don't do. See, Peter wants us to have a true picture of God so that we can live in a right relationship with God. God, the one who is holy, look back at your text. That was just what he had written about the verses before, the one verse before we started reading today. Because it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. God is holy. God, the one who is holy, is our loving Father who will judge us according to our deeds. Being loving doesn't exclude honest judgment. And that's, a, that's an idea that for some reason has got to become hard to grasp in our society. If you make a judgment, you're not loving. Can I say the spiritual, one of the most important spiritual words there is? Baloney. It's Baloney. To say that God is not loving if he is judging. I'm judging all the time as I'm loving people. As I'm loving my children and loving my grand, I'm judging, I'm, I'm making a judgment based on what they're doing. If it's good or bad, and based on if it's good or bad, there are consequences either way. And somehow we've come to the point to say that if you're loving, you can't be judging. You think that maybe people haven't changed as much as we think they have? 2,000 years ago, Peter's having to deal with this in the church. See, I think Peter, God's word is, I'm so grateful for the Holy Spirit and the word of God because he, he's still relevant because this is so timely. Knowing that love does expect certain action is truth. That, act, that, that, that Understanding that actions matter and that not everything is acceptable and that there is a thing called absolute truth from God expressed through his word is what Peter's trying to get us to understand here. So he's trying to show us this through painting a correct picture of God, that God is loving and God is this loving judge of us. See, Peter sees having this right picture of God as essential for motivating our decisions. That's what we're going to talk about. That a right picture of God will cause us to live differently than the world around us, knowing that our loving Father will hold us to account for our conduct 
will cause us to consider our conduct. He's saying you'll think about what you do if you know you're going to stand before God. And that's exactly what Peter is getting at in the last part of verse 17. Look at the last part of it. It says, conduct yourself. Here's this God who's this loving father. You call him father. He's going to judge your deeds. And he says, now, because of that, conduct yourself in fear during the time of your stay on earth. Knowing that God would judge us according to our deeds should cause some sobriety in our view of life. Peter says it should cause a level of fear. Let me tell you a little interesting story about that occurred to me as I was studying this text about this. I was doing what I always do. If you came in any Wednesday, you would see me doing this in preparation for Thursday when I'm going to write the sermon, is I take the text I'm going to work on and I outline it. I didn't like English in school, and I spend my entire life outlining things. And I outline, and I put the main thoughts, and I put little lines on with subordinate thoughts, and I, I circle key words, and I, I try to, I wrestle, I read through a text dozens and dozens and dozens of times before I do anything else. I just keep reading it, and I keep dissecting it, and I keep writing it down, and I keep looking at what's the most important thought, what things are subordinate, because it's easy to misunderstand Scripture. You take something out of context, you take one little phrase out, but if you're not connecting it to the rest of the phrases, you might completely misunderstand how that phrase is, how it's connected and what's it saying. So here I was, I'm outlining this phrase with with all the ideas and phrases, subordinate thoughts, and and I'm highlighting key words. And when it came to the word fear, I did something automatically, because I've been doing this for three decades, right? I put a parenthesis, fear, parenthesis, and I wrote the words, and I went back to my notes to see what I wrote. I wrote reverence and seriousness. Reverence slash seriousness, parenthesis. Knowing that in many places in Scripture, there is often a better translation or a more understandable translation for us than fear, because we have usually all negative thoughts towards fear. Often in the Psalms, it talks about living in the fear of the Lord, and generally, it's, it's just as good, and your Bible would note it and say, this word could be, could be also translated reverence. Take this idea of what this, what this word fear means, reverence, because it generally because we generally see fear as a bad thing. But when I wrote reverence, and seriousness next to fear. And I did it literally automatically. Parenthesis, reverence, end of bracket. I stopped at that moment when I'm writing at my desk. I'm sitting there and I ask myself, why did I do that? Why did I automatically do that? And I put reverence and I put seriousness and I, had the, I knew the answer immediately. Because I wanted to be able to explain away the idea of living in fear. I want to be able to explain it away. I want to be explaining it away. Well, that's not really what it means. Knowing that, I'm going to say, I'm, you're supposed to have a sense of fear living in your life, in your relationship towards God, knowing that um, how you live matters. I knew the reason. Because it's easy to see our Heavenly Father. And I, I, and I wrote down, if you can see my notes, I have a number of words crossed out here. And this is the word I came up with. It's easy to see our Heavenly Father as nice. That's the right word. It's easy. In a culture today, God is just nice. He's a good, good Father. He runs up mountains. He chases after me. He jumps over the ocean. He does all, what are the things he does in our songs to chase after us, right? It's easy to conceive of God as nice. But in our culture, it's hard to say that God is a judge 
So I need to, if he's a judge, then I need to live in fear, meaning that the weight of impending judgment really does have effect on how I choose to live my life, that I live differently partially because there is a holy fear inside of me pushing me in the right direction. I explained it away because it was uncomfortable for me, and if it's uncomfortable for me, it's uncomfortable for you. But church, this is so important. Having a right narrative about God is so important that he isn't just a good, good father who chases after me, but he is also the holy father who expects me to grow in holiness. And how do I do that? I become more like Jesus. I begin to live out the Sermon on the Mount. You want, to understand, you want a, 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 a master's level, doctorate level study on how to live a holy life? Just every day read the Sermon on the Mount and say, I'm going to live it out. You know, knowing that he will make a judgment of my life one day um, should change me on the inside. And that this reality should cause a sense of holy fear within my soul, moving me in the right direction. That's what Peter is getting at. Peter, Peter is helping us see a true picture of God. That true picture is so important because it's not only moves us in the right direction, as that's the emphasis here in, from First Peter, is the right, the right picture of God will move us in the right direction in decisions we make in life, but also it helps us know the truth about the God that we worship and we serve, that we worship this God of love and justice, that this is the God of the Bible. And this is super important, friends. I'm going to say this, especially in the day we live in, because this, to create a God that is only half of this, either loving or just, is to create a false God. It's to create a God that isn't God. And we don't get to create God as we desire. That's what the world's doing. Create God as mankind desires. You see, we get to come to know the truth about God and worship Him as He has revealed Himself in Scripture and in history. We get to discover the truth. We don't get to create a God in our own image. To create a God that is all love without justice is to create an idol. And to worship and follow that God of mankind's own making is idol worship. That's not Christianity. Peter is keeping us from making this mistake. Do you see how this loving Peter, these people are suffering. And what's he get on them? What's he get on them about? Listen, be holy, work with, walk with God. He's going to judge your deeds. You're going, come on, Peter, where are the hugs? He's going, I love you so much. I know that in your time of challenge and difficulty, it's easy to drift from the truth and create some false world where you somehow it's all easy and fun and you're protected. He's going, but that's not the truth. I've got a better way. It's knowing the truth of who God really is. He's keeping us from making the mistake of of worshiping a God that's not even a God because it's not the God of the Bible. Our good father, he says, impartially judges each person according to their deeds. And he goes, that ought to cause something inside of you that's going to move you in the right direction. I think we should think about this. 
Is there a holy fear in your heart? And I think it's all right to use reverence there, but, but I don't want to explain it away. Scripture on purpose picked the word fear. I don't want to explain it. Is there a holy fear in our hearts? Knowing that one day God will judge your deeds. Not that your salvation's at risk, but one day you're going to stand before God to give an answer. Do you think about standing before the Lord judgment before you make decisions? Just think if we lived in that constant reality of the presence of God, knowing that we want to honor God and please God, I think a lot of decisions we make would be altered. And here's what I found. If you make decisions that are outside the will of God, it ruins your life anyways. And the best, safest, blessed, most wonderful life you can live, a life within the parameters of God's goodness and grace. So he's giving us a gift. He's saying, listen, think about how this, this relates to the holiness of God before you do it, because if you do it, you're going to hurt yourself anyways. It's because Peter's going, I love you, and I want you to know the truth. Peter is saying we should um, think about this, that such a perspective will cause us to live lives differently than before we met Jesus, and that'll mean we live lives differently from the world around us. And so it's love that he's saying, listen, get this right picture of God. Now, but I think Peter's not heartless. I don't think Peter's heartless. And you're saying, man, he just... Kind of laid it on the line there. I think I told you last week, I was going through this outline with Suzanne, and she goes, you sound like an old Pentecostal preacher. I said, well, maybe we need that. Peter thought we did. But Peter's not heartless. Look what he does in in the rest of the text. I think he understands that this verse 17 is a pretty hard statement. So then moves on in the text to remind us about what God has done for us. Really, that's what verses 18 through 21 are about. Look at those again. He just says this really hard statement, verse 17. Then verse 18, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Peter is saying this, I think, in a nutshell. Remember what God has done for us. Look at, look at what it does, verse 18. Verse 18 is about we, what we have been redeemed from. What you have been, if you're a child of God, what you've been rescued from. As a Christian, you have been redeemed. And that word means purchased from a life of sin and death by the death of Christ on the cross. You have been redeemed um, that you, from that life that you inherited from your forefathers. That all, he says, the futility from your forefathers, that all people were bound, he says, in futility and sin. And that's how we came into the world. But Jesus has redeemed us. He's purchased us. So he, we were redeemed from this old life of misery. But look at verse 19. It says what, we, what, what he redeemed us with. Verse 18, we were redeemed from this, but verse 19, we were redeemed with what? We were redeemed or purchased with by the blood of Jesus. That he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Peter here is making reference to the sacrificial system that God had set up for Israel to show them that they were lost in sin and couldn't save themselves. 
They could not get free from sin. So every year they took a spotless, unblemished lamb and they sacrificed it. And the sacrifice rolled their sin ahead for another year, forgave them of their sins temporarily. It atoned for their sins for that time, but it didn't do it once and for all. So every year they had to come back and come back. But Jesus is the perfect lamb. He lived a perfect, sinless life. He willingly gave his life for humanity. He gave his life as a ransom price. He redeemed, he purchased mankind from death with his death, and his forgiveness is complete and eternal. And then he rose from the grave. That's what verse 21 is about. For whom... For through him are being the believers in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and your hope are in God. He rose him, Jesus rose from the grave, breaking the curse of sin and death. Sin had led to death for mankind. God had said to Adam and Eve and all humanity, if you eat it, if you reject my way, you will die and all mankind has died. So when Jesus rose from the dead, what he was doing was reversing that curse. He defeated death and he set mankind free from death and sin as we live in Christ. And look what Peter points out about Jesus redeeming mankind from sin and death. He said it cost, what did it cost to do this? What did it cost to give us this opportunity to be set free from sin and death? What did it, do to re- what did it cost to redeem us? It cost the ultimate price. He says no amount of silver or gold could purchase mankind from the curse of sin and death. But look at 18 and 19 again. Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver and gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with what? But with the precious blood, the blood of Jesus, as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. Church, only the precious blood of Jesus could purchase mankind. Only Jesus can set us free from sin and death. And that's what Jesus did for every person on planet earth. He gave his all. He gave himself, his life, to redeem us from our utter lostness. And if, if we receive the gift that he offers to us of eternal life, the redemption from the old life of sin and death, if we do that, but we don't have to, He loves us so much to give us a choice as to whether or not we receive or reject him. But if we receive Christ, Peter wants us to really understand what that means. That it cost Jesus everything. It cost him his life on the cross. So Peter says that, that reality ought to shape how we live our daily lives. That reality. Because we understand that what Jesus paid then, if you address as Father, the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, then conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth. You know, ask yourself, does knowing that Jesus gave his life for you affect how you live? Just be honest. Does knowing that Jesus gave his life for you affect how you live? Does knowing that our loving heavenly father will judge the deeds of our life affect what we do with the time we have on earth? Peter believes that if we understand who God is, it will affect the decisions that we make for our lives. This morning, I think we should let that sink into our souls. 
Let's do some personal evaluation. Let's allow our narratives of God to include that he is our perfect judge. Now, here's an interesting thing back to the topic of worship. Suzanne works tirelessly at trying to find worship songs that are true to Scripture. And she can find a ton of them telling us how wonderful we are. Oh, you're good, you're love, you're God, so happy with you, live however you want. She can't really find a current worship song that says, but guess what, some of you are going to stand before Jesus. You've got to pull them out of the archives for that. Some people say, man, that was an old song. It's because we're actually trying to pull a song out that says some truth about the fact that what Peter's trying to paint here. Give a little insight into how we, how we select worship around here. It's not willy-nilly. It's all to say we want to worship alters our theology. Our theology is shaped by what we sing. You remember songs more you remember any word that I said in this sermon. If I gave you a test in five days about what I said and what in the words of a song, you'd remember the words of a song better than my sermon. Maybe I should start singing them. Josh is saying, don't do it, Dad. But let's do some personal evaluation. Let's allow our narratives of God to include that he is not only our good, good father, but he's also our loving, perfect judge. Then let's evaluate our lives because we may need to make some changes in light of that. And here's what I need you to understand today. The Holy Spirit loves to help us grow and develop. He loves to help us become more like Jesus. He's not angry when he helps us grow. He's not condemning us when he helps us grow and change. He's saying, I love you so much. I want to help you become the best you you can become, which is the you that you were created by Jesus to be. And that's the version of you as Christ-like. So let's allow the Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts. Would you join me in prayer this morning? Heavenly Father, help us. Help us. Help us. We don't know what we don't know. And Lord, how could we help but be affected by everything around us? We are. I am. Help us. Help us to have a true and a biblical image of who you are. God, it's so easy to create a picture of you in our own image. It's so easy to create a picture of you that's not in line with what we see in the Word of God. But we don't want that. We want the best. We want the best. We want to understand you in your holiness and your love We want to understand you in your fullness as best as our limited humanity can conceive of. Lord, this idea of knowing that you are a good father and our judge, help us to figure out how that works together. And as Peter's getting at here, would you cause a sense of holy fear? to develop in our hearts this reality that we will give an account for our lives that that, that's true and it's real not fear of you but fear of living beneath the plan that you have for us fear of, of living beneath that knowing that you have something amazing 
and costly and kingdom-minded that you want to accomplish through us. We don't want to settle. We want to settle for something less. So Lord, in these moments, would you help every single person in this room, starting with me, help us to have a clear picture in our mind because we live by stories, we live by images, a clear picture in our mind that helps us to see you, the real you. Because if we see that, we can't help but bow down and worship you. We can't help but say, God, my life is yours. Make me into who you want and send me where you want me to go. We can't help it because we see you. So Lord, tear off scales from our eyes this morning. Tear off, tear down wrong thinkings. Tear down wrong teachings. And Lord, help us to see you high and lifted up. Your holiness filling this temple. And help us to learn to walk in that. Our churches are, we're in a attitude of prayer this morning. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, not because there's anything holy about that, just private. As we're in this moment, we've been talking about who God is, this picture of God. Maybe today you're seeing God differently than you ever have. Maybe you're here today and you're recognizing that God is this loving God who loves you so much that he gave his life, but that he has expectations of you. That means he wants to be in a relationship with you. He wants to know you. He wants to help you. He wants to help you become something. He's not some God that you just heard about and you sing songs on a Sunday morning too, wondering if he's even real, but no, he's a God of relationship. And you know this, you're not in a relationship with God. The text we read said the way we come to know the Father is through Jesus, that Jesus died and rose again, and because of that we can know the Father. You're here today and you say, Pastor Mark, I'm not in relationship with God. I've not come to understand that Jesus died for me. But today I'm starting to understand that Jesus gave his life for me so that I could live. He he died in my place. He forgave my sins. And that today you can come to him and say, Jesus, I need you to forgive my sins. And he always says yes to that. Matter of fact, he's created everything that goes on in this whole world just to get every person to that place of knowing him. And you're here today and you say, Pastor Mark, today is the day that I want to say yes to Jesus. I want to begin my journey with Jesus. I want to begin a life with Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. I want my sins forgiven. I want the old junk of my life to pass away. And I want to become different. I want to become different than I am. I want to become different than this world around me because it stinks. I want something more. I want what God offers to me today. If that's you today, 
Again, our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. I promise you, I'm not going to call you out or embarrass you. I really have no desire to do that at all. I just want to give you a chance to respond to the Holy Spirit who's acting in your soul right now. That voice that's saying, this is for you. If you're ready to say yes to Jesus today, this is what I want you to do just between you and me and God because no one else is looking around. I want you just to raise up your hand. And when I see it, I'm going to have you put it back down. When I see your hand, okay, you can put it down. Okay, you can put it down, okay. Okay, in the back, way in the back, I see that. Who else? Off to my right. Haven't had a chance to look there yet. Multiple people saying yes to Jesus. Here's what we're going to do as a church. We're going to we're going to all pray together. All, Every one of you who raised your hands this morning. We're going to all pray. We're going to pray out loud. And everybody's going to pray because that way you can just blend. You can just pray with the crowd. Nothing magical about the words. We're just, we're just going to talk to God and welcome him into your life. So let's all pray this way. Dear Jesus, I need you. And I want to know you as you really are. So help me today to have my mind and my heart opened up to your presence. And on this day, I want to give my life to you. So Lord Jesus, thank you for giving your life for me. And now in response to that, I give my heart to you. So welcome me into your family. Wipe away my sins. Make me brand new. And from this day forward, I'm going to walk with you. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus.